Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by Sunny Sweeney. Now, Sunny's musical journey began in the early 2000s when she began playing local venues around Austin, Texas, near her hometown of Longview. Now, that has progressed into a very successful career for studio albums, with her fifth being delivered on September 23rd of this year, titled Married Alone. We had a great conversation talking about her career and the amazing experiences within it, including 58 appearances at the Grand Old Opry, which we talked about off the beginning of our conversation, will soon become 60 later this year. So please enjoy our conversation with Sunny Sweeney. I wanted to start with the Opry because you're actually going to be heading back there on, I think, August 11th and September 17th for two shows. And if I'm not mistaken, that's going to be number 59 and 60 for you. Isn't that wild? Yes. Take me back to March 2nd of 2007 and your first show there and the feelings that you had then and then throughout the years and throughout the shows how those feelings have changed and evolved as you have changed and evolved as an artist. Uh, March the 2nd, 2007 will always be honestly in my musical career, one of the best days because of what you just said, the Opry debut. Um, But I did that and little Jimmy Dickens introduced me and I honestly, I have audio of this. And I'm really embarrassed by it, but I was such a wreck. Like I was such a wreck. And there were like 50 people there from my family and my friends. Like I'm not exaggerating. And um, they all came up there, you know, Tennessee and bought plane tickets and hotels and all that. And I was only doing like one song. And for some ungodly reason, I chose to do the fastest song that I have. And it requires a lot of breath. And I was already like nervous and out of breath. So I made it through like one verse, maybe half of a chorus. And I like start hyperventilating. Like I'm not exact, like oh, really, really. Wow. Yeah. And I lost, like, I lost it. Like I could, I just started jumping around saying I'm on the Opry. Like I literally have audio of this and I, in confidence, sometimes I may play it for you, but I'll never like post it publicly because I cannot believe that that actually happened. Oh, wow. But anyway, there's a picture of me when little Jimmy came back out. There's a picture of me and him and my hands are up in the air and my eyes are like kind of like going different ways. And I'm just like screaming like ah! like that. But it was a really bad um, mid facial expression photo right and like most people would probably be really embarrassed but I actually have it framed because I it was a really embarrassing moment but also it was like one of the highlights of my life and so when I walked off the stage they were all standing there including the general manager and they were all like kind of a little bit like teary-eyed too because they like saw I guess how excited I was or something and um and I was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I screwed it up and you know I'm so sorry and whatever. And then the general manager said, it's okay. Next time you'll get two songs. So maybe you'll be able to catch your breath by the second one. 
And then I started crying again. Cause I was like, there's going to be a next time. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that I've ever gotten to do it again, <laughs> but they, for, they let me come back. They still let me come back. And so heading into number 60 later this year, like, is there ever a worry of it becoming normal or is there never a time that that would ever happen? Not for me. I mean, I've had, you know, we get to have two players on there every time. And I remember about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I took this guy on, it was a band member of mine. And I've actually never been pissed at the Opry. Like I've never been like upset about anything. And he was standing side stage and I, and mind you, I could have chosen someone else out of my band to go with me. He had made a big deal. Like I want to go, I want to go. So, um, he said, as we're about to walk on stage, I said, Oh, are you so excited? Cause I'm like, literally like still right now, 16 years later, I get nervous every time I go in there. And, um, and I looked at him and I said, are you so excited? He goes, it's a gig. Oh, and I wow. was like, I literally, if I would have been able, had 10 more minutes, I would have been like, then get the hell out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, for sure. um, it was just kind of rude. And, and I thought like pretty unprofessional of him to say that, but, um, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't change how I feel. I still get super nervous and the backs of my knees get sweaty and my back gets sweaty. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God. And I think what it is, I've nailed down the fact that like, I don't want to embarrass myself on a stage that so many people that I look up to came before me and, you know, sang on that stage. So I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that that's gonna, you know, tarnish, tarnish what they've left. You know what I mean? So I try so hard to, to do what I feel like is the right thing to do at the Grand Ole Opry. So. Yeah, that's amazing. And another show that you have coming up in October is at the O4 Center in Austin. Now, Austin is sort of the closest city center to where you grew up in Longview, Texas. And so talk about that history. I wanted to talk about that venue, the O4 Center, being just down the street from the Carousel Lounge and also North Burnett Road, which is, has <laughs> some history for you dude. within this career. And now, so... <laughs> Going back to Austin, first of all, just talk about what it means now to still be able to play shows close to home and, you know, maybe have family come out and the feelings that you get. Well, okay. So first of all, you really have done your research, like really, really well. And, um, thank you for that. Um, Absolutely. so, so Austin is extremely important to me in, in the fact that that's where I started and that's where I basically made a life choice. Like I made a huge life choice there. And there were some really, really, really like shitty gigs that I played there to be perfectly honest. And, um, that being said, I cherished every one of them. And when I can look now at my life and compare it to, you know, the early two thousands, when I started doing this, playing those like literally like Mexican restaurants or grocery stores. I'm not exaggerating. Like anywhere I could play, I would play. And I played about seven nights a week usually. Wow. And usually they were like, you know, three to four or five hours. It just depended on like which venue it was. Right. And, um, and so Jenny's on North Burnet and then, um, and Poodle Dog was right up the way. And yep. the Poodle Dog was, 
literally probably, well, I would say for, for sure, actually the, the best years of my life were in that bar. Like we had, we built it from absolutely nothing to where it was packed every Sunday night from eight to 11, we would play there. And, um, it was a, it is still, they've changed the name of it now to the aristocrat, but it's a, it is a cinder block building. It did not have, um, barely any air conditioning. I don't think they took credit cards. Um, it was just a dive bar, you know? And basically I was like, well, I want to play there. And everyone was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I want to play there. I feel like it's something that doesn't have a stage. You're standing on the floor. Right. And, um, and they're, you know, you have to pass the tip jar to make money and stuff. And it just ended up being like a really positive time in my life. And I remember, um, I got a record deal when I was playing there at the time, it was like in the middle of all that. And, oh, okay. um, I, my last gig there correlated to my Opry debut and I can't remember the exact dates, but I remember somebody, I think it was Jim Caligiuri. He's a writer in Austin. I think, I think it said, and I have it somewhere, but I could probably find it, but, um, it said, it's very seldom that an Austinite can play the, play the poodle dog on a Sunday and the Grand Ole Opry on a Friday or something like that. Right. And that was, that was the title of the article. And I think that's when something like clicked in my head where I just, I was, I was like, Oh my God, I'm playing the Opry, you know? Um, and, um, and I had already, my, my poodle dog time had run its course. I think I did it like for three or four years. Like it was a lot every Sunday. Oh, wow. I don't know. I think I maybe missed like two Sundays and, wow. um, and my whole week centered around that place. But, um, so anyway, yeah, I would play there and I would play at Jenny's little longhorn when Jenny was still there all the time. And, um, she's the lady that, you know, obviously Jenny and, um, yeah. and then I made so many of my friends at those venues, like just, there's a group of Austinites called the dancers and like the dancers would all, if you, if you got the dancers to come to your gigs, then you were doing okay. Because then your bar was packed. you know what oh, I mean? Okay. So, so I went to like all the venues I could find where the dancers were at and would be like, Hey, y'all should come to my gig. And so the dancers started showing up at the poodle dog and everyone's like, Holy shit, dancers are here. Like at the poodle dog, it's like just a dance, not, not even a dance floor. It's literally a dive bar. And, um, Anyway, it was just like a really fun time in my life. And looking back, so little stress. I had no idea. I had no idea because at that time, I remember thinking like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out. And like, I wish (laughs) that that was my level of stress Um, now, you know, and anyway, it's it's just been very eye opening. But then so you mentioned the 04 Center, and this is what's funny about that. I grew up in Longview and there were two guys that I knew that did, or no, three that did music, like that were in bands, like in high school and college. Oh, okay. One is Monty Pittman, who is Madonna's guitar player now. And then one is a guy named um, Chris Sheehan that was Monty in Monty's band, My Remains. And then Todd Metter. And Todd Metter was like this other guy and he dated a friend of mine. And, and, um, but those were the three like musicians that I knew. And I always remember thinking like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. Like, you know, they're just like, I don't know. I just thought they were cool. And, um, right, yeah. anyway, and Todd dated my friend and, um, and then through college, you know, he was in a band and everything and we'd, you know, go see him play or whatever and lost touch with, you know, him and, uh, about, 
a year and a half ago, I guess I get a message from him and he's like, Hey, uh, I just got involved with this venue in Austin and I'm going to try to get you to play there. And I was like, what? I was like, are you serious? And so I'm always a little hesitant to play like a friend's venue because then if it sucks, then you're kind of like, I don't want to come back here. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we, we played there. It was so cool. And I'm so proud of him, like just as his friend and someone that no, it's a church that they basically use the like church part as the venue. Oh, wow. Like on the weekends and you know, the sound is really good in there. The sound guys are really good in there. Todd has like set it up to where, cause he's a musician. So he, and he was on the road. So he knew like, we needed a green room with air conditioning. We needed an easy load in with no stairs. We needed, you know, snacks. We needed food from the place next door. So he like took total good care of us. And, um, it was just really great. I'm so proud of him. So we're actually doing, after we played there that night, I said, you know, my record's coming out in September. I'd like to do my record release here mm, for, okay. for my Austin record release. So that's what we're doing, um, in October. Cause it comes out, um, September, 23rd and then we are going to start our tour and so that first week is when we're ending up in austin and um so yeah so i'm really excited for him because it's such a cool venue and coincidentally there's this christian author that i love named jen hatmaker she's a very progressive um very um just a very progressive um, speaker and like the things that she talks about and, and says and believes in are very in line with the way that I think about pretty much everything. And so, um, Todd knows that I like her, I guess. And so he, he swore to me that he would get her like, you know, to come to this gig that we're doing in October. So about once a month, I'll send him a message and be like, Hey, you still cool with getting her to come? And he's like, He's like, I got confirmation. She's going to be there. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So, so I like told everyone, but I know that we'll be friends. Like, it's just like, you know, we have literally the same personality and, and I just, I love her humor so much and I love her views on life and just on living and everything. And so anyway, it's a very good, it's a good person for me to be looking up to. I feel like I just really like her a lot. And um, anyway, so I'm so excited about that gig particularly. Yeah, that's amazing. And now this musical journey, like there's so much I want to talk about, but I know we would be here all day if we were to talk about <laughs> all of it. So I, I want to talk about the beginning a bit because growing up, music wasn't, well, playing music wasn't a focus for you. Your stepdad, Paul, he played guitar. He wanted to teach you. You never had an interest. Then you went off to college. You got a PR degree and then you moved to New York to pursue acting for a bit. And then it's when you moved back that you wanted to dive in, into the guitar. And that's where I want to sort of talk about, because that's when you went to your stepdad, Paul, and said, OK, I want to learn the guitar. And he taught you. And that was the beginning of your journey. And then I also saw that in August of 2019, for the first time, he got up on the stage with you and actually played with you during a gig. And so talk oh God, about that journey, like without, like I say, talking all day, but just the beginnings of that and how amazing that was to have him there. And then what it was like at that show to have him play with you finally. It was pretty awesome to be, and I don't even have another word for it. Um, 
he did try like him and my uncle, a couple of my uncles, and then a couple of his friends would all sit around and listen to like bluegrass, which I always loved bluegrass music. But when they started playing it, I thought like, oh my God, this is for old people. Like, I cannot believe these guys just sit around and play this all the time. How boring, you know, like right, yeah. I was 10 or 12 years old, you know? And, um, so fast forward, I went to college and then realized quickly that I was not cut out for the, you know, working for someone getting up early and I had to figure out something, you know, I did it very briefly and it just, it wasn't for me. So I was hell bent on finding a way to make a living. And, and I knew I wanted to get, you know, I got a PR degree. I wanted to do entertainment PR. That's what initially I ever wanted to do. And, um, and I wanted to be like an entertainment publicist. And so um, I did a little bit of interning for that stuff. And it was just so interesting to me. And so anyway, I didn't end up with that job after I got my degree, because evidently it's a little harder to get that job than you think. And you usually need to work for yourself, which I didn't have the first clue of how to do, you know, a company or I didn't think I did. Right. Anyway. And so then I started working for um, Lone Star Music and um, it's a company that my friend Chad Rainey owned and he is in an in a wheelchair. And so he's unable to go comfortably to a lot of the places that he needed to go to the venues that may have not been, you know, accessible or whatever. And so he would send me to go out to these clubs and basically the company sold music on a website. So he would send me out and then he, you know, I would go out, get these people, musicians to sell their stuff. And one night I was at this venue and I heard this guy and I was like, I can do that. Like, I know I can do that. I can write stories. I just got to figure out how to play guitar. Like, I literally remember having this thought. So the next day is when I went and called my stepdad and I said, man, I am coming to you with my hat in hand. And I know I would probably be way better at guitar right now if I would have taken you up on this 15 years ago. But can you teach me how to play guitar? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? And like being a smart ass. And I was like, well, can you teach me how to play guitar? He's like, I'm sorry. Could you repeat yourself? And so he went and literally like bought me a guitar that week. And, um, and I basically didn't ever look back. And I, I just, I made like a commitment. I said, I'll make this. I don't know how, I don't know if I'll be good at it. I don't know if anyone else will think that it's worthy of any time or whatever, but I'm doing it like, this, this is where my heart starts beating fast. You know, like, right. Yeah. This is the only thing that's ever given me any like real joy in my life. And so, um, so I was like hell bent on making this work. And, um, and so coincidentally I was going on a family vacation with them that week. We were going up to ski somewhere and a, I sat in the back of a car for, I think it was a 20 hour drive and played the three chords that he taught me um, literally for 20 hours. Really? And yeah. And they still laugh about it right now. My mom and my stepdad, they just, they're like, we, we rolled our eyes at each other like 50 times, like a day, you know, because you were just so annoying, but also he got really kind of, he was like, damn, she's had this guitar two days and she's better than I am already, you know, like, and so I just played those three chords over and over. Well, that week I decided, cause I've always written stories and, and like in my mind, I'm, you know, my mother has always said, I have a, 
um, very vivid imagination. And so I kind of took the the two things. And that week when we were in Colorado, um, I wrote my first song, which ended up actually going on my first album. Oh, so wow. I'd only, I had only played guitar maybe like um, two weeks or something at that time. And um, it's a song called Slow Swinging Western Tunes on my first album. And uh, I remember when he taught me the E minor, I was done for. I was like, oh, God, I heard an E minor for the first time, like me playing it. I was like, oh, my God, this is too good for me right now. This is I love a minor chord still to this day. I love minor chords. Um, so anyway, all that. And then, um, you know, I always joke around on social media and stuff. And I'm when I like post anything about Paul or whatever, I'll just be like, and also it's his birthday. And also if you like my music, you can thank him because if it weren't for him, I would not be here and you would have none of my music. So, um, then when we were in Lubbock that night, I just decided my, my guitar player and I actually uh, may have even been his idea, but came up with like, well, if he's going to be there, why don't you just get him up to play? And I kind of asked him at first and he, he was like, Oh, y'all don't need me. I was like, I know I don't need you. Do you want to? Like, do you want to get up? And so it was so cute. He kind of got like a little bit dressed up. It was just so cute. And he like him and my mom came out and um it was pretty awesome. And a lot of people videoed it. So I have it, you know, videoed and I have a lot of good pictures from that night. And it was just kind of something that like you can't ever get back because that's the first time that we've ever played like on a stage together. Right. Yeah. You know. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing. And now I saw you mention, I think a 2001 concert when you saw Billy, Do Billy Joe Shaver and how that changed everything. Is that the concert that you talk about that inspired you to play guitar or was that Billy Joe concert after you started playing that sort of inspired you to be an artist? That was when I was working for um, Lone Star Music. Okay. And um I can't remember if his son had just died. I think his son had just died. And um, Eddie Shaver. And I don't remember what year it was, but it, I'm pretty sure. But I remember he had, his, uh, he had his arms out singing like this, but there was a light behind him um, that was like given a backlight. And it looked okay. like a cross. It looked like a cross was on the wall behind him. Wow. It's like at this amphitheater. And um. It was, um, it was all, all of that time was when I was beginning to go like, okay, I've got to do this. You know, like I had right. made a, I had made a, I'm just trying to think like time-wise when all this was, but yeah, I'd made, I had made a, um, demo to get gigs, imaginary gigs. I didn't even have a band. I was like, you know, I didn't, did I didn't know anything. <laughs> right. I still, I still do not know anything, but I really knew nothing then. Um, but I had made this demo of three or four cover songs. It was like a Waylon Jennings song, a Towns Van Zandt song, a Graham Parsons song, um, something else. I don't know, but, uh, I gave a copy of it to Billy Joe that night. Oh, okay. And, uh, and he said he was sweet about it, but he said, I don't take, I don't take, uh, I don't take these, I don't take records from people. And I was so like, oh, why? I mean, I, I was just like a kid. I was like proud. And like, I wanted to get, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, for sure. So this is a two part story because I did that. And he said, I don't take those from people. And I was like, 
a dick. Like I remember thinking like, what a dick, you know? Yeah. And, and then the next sentence was, I don't ever want to get caught in a situation where someone gives me some, some music of theirs. And then they come back later and say that I took some of it and made my own song, which is a, the most valid point I've ever heard. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, that happens quite a bit where people, you know, give us music and stuff. And, and I literally think of Billy Joe every single time. And I'm, I'm a little cautious, you know, I'm always looking at like, uh, hope, you know, I hope nobody comes back and like, they give me this. And then in a year they come, you know, come back and say, well, that was part of my song idea. I gave you that, you know, but if you just yeah. don't take them, then you don't have to worry about that. And as someone that creates something out of nothing, you have to be, I guess, you know, concerned with that. But yeah, I learned absolutely. that from Billy Joe. And um, there is a second part to that story because that week, um, I think what you're talking about that happened at that, that gig was I gave, again, my CD to another guy that I knew was a pretty well-to-do musician. And he's going to remain nameless. Um, but if he hears this, he knows who he is. And, um, and it was, this was the turning point in my life, actually. Um, this guy played with like people that I looked up to like way deep, deep, like fandom, you know what I mean? And, right, yeah. and, uh, and he took it and he was very sweet when he took it and he was like, yeah, you know, I'll give you a call this week and we'll talk about it and whatever. And I was all week. I mean, I was, I was a kid. I mean, I was a kid. I was like a child compared, you know, to being now. Yeah. And I didn't know anything. And I was just like, um, you know, all week I was kind of nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to call me. And he's going to tell me like, you know, that he's going to be able to help me and you know, whatever. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was good. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think everybody struggles with that, but I really didn't know because I hadn't had enough people hear anything I, you know, saying or whatever. And so, um, he calls me about a week later and he says, Hey, this is so-and-so. And, and I said, Oh my gosh. And so I got out like my notepad and I was ready to take like notes and everything. And it literally almost makes me cry even now. Like I'm not going to, but it makes me so mad that someone would say this to someone so young that literally was starting out. He said, the first words out of his mouth were, well, I don't know if I'd quit my day job. That's literally what he said. Wow. And so, uh, I like, I was shattered. I mean, like yeah, literally shattered and, um, it's come around and, and he has appeared a couple of other times in my life and said, you know, if you ever need a blank, you know, this, I would love to play with you. And I'm like, dude, you literally shattered me. This is never going to happen. Like, I appreciate yeah. your talent so very much. But like from that is lit, like it lit the biggest fire under my ass that I have ever had lit under my ass to prove that guy wrong, I you bet. know? Yeah. And, um, and, and it also has really made me cognizant of other, especially young women that come at me with like any, I don't know why anyone asked me for any advice, but like, if anyone ever asked for any advice or anything, or like, I don't care if I think they suck, if they are the worst thing that has ever happened, I will find something to say to them that will give them like some courage to keep doing it. Because I do want everyone to at least 
attempt to follow their dream, even if they suck at it, they'll figure it out later if they suck, you know, and that's not my job to tell someone they suck, you know? And so that, that man really shaped a lot of the way that I look at young people now, you know, because I would, I I don't ever want someone 20 years down the road to be like, God, I met Sunny Sweeney and she just, she shattered my ego. Like I would, I would literally like want to die if that happened, you know? Right. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that happened at that Billy Joe Shaver concert. And, um, that's probably the part that lit a fire under my ass that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And within this career for you, the success that you've been able to find, like you talk about supporting other females in the industry. I was talking to Jenny Tolman recently, and she talked about an experience with you that when she was young, she would listen to your music while getting ready in the mirror. And then later on in life, you were working with her husband, David, in the studio And you were like talking to her on the phone and you were telling her how you were doing your makeup in her mirror, listening to her music and just how excited she was about that. And so within this career, are you able to internalize the success that you've had and the career that you've had within it? So I am, I feel like a lot of times it has to be pointed out and, and I have to be reminded of it. And whether that's by my mom or my guitar player is really good at that. Um, and my mom is really good at that. Like they'll, if, if it's like, okay, so if you have one tiny good thing happen, you know, then the next day you can still be like super stressed out and like upset or having a bad day or everybody's got bad days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, I feel like if one little thing happens, you know, it doesn't make as big of an impact, but then like my mom can come back and be like, no, what about this, 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 and this, that's five good things. And then it really, it it makes like a dent, you know what I mean? Where you see progress that way, where when you're in it, when we're out here on the road, like right now we've been out for 30 days. I mean, that is, it's almost stupid. Like it's almost stupid, but we love it so much. And so we're on a one day off deal now, and then we'll drive home for a couple of days. And then probably next week is when I'm going to start looking back through my Instagram and my Facebook messages and reading some of these people that, that, you know, may not have come over to the merch table to tell me anything or say hi or whatever. But, um, sometimes I get these amazing, um, letters and like messages from people and it, it completely re lights the fire under me sometimes to know, uh, that anything that I've ever done even affected one person. And this one girl in front of an entire table of people the other day came up to me and said, kind of jokingly at first, she said, girl, you made me divorce my husband. And I said, uh, okay, well, you're welcome. I mean, what do you say? You know, like, do you say you're welcome or do you say, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, Oh no. She goes, he beat it out of me. She goes, it was, it was my kids next. And she said it in front of an entire table of people. Wow. And, and that's not what my song is about. My song stands worse than leaving is not about that. You know, it's about leaving a marriage, but it has nothing to do with 
anything domestic at all. Um, but it, it affected her in a way in which she felt she needed to get her kids out of this line of fire basically. And, right, yeah. and so I got like cold chills when she said that, cause, cause I remember it's weird. Cause it's like, I guess I don't have kids, but I guess it's like when you have a kid and you remember the day your kid was born, you know, like, I know that sounds so stupid because it's a song, not a kid, but like, I, I remember the day we wrote that song and we were at Radney Foster's house and it was freezing cold outside and I have no idea why we're sitting on his porch, but it was like a screened in porch and it was so cold. And we wrote that with me, him and Jay Clementi. And I was in the throes of a really bad divorce. And, um, and I just, you know, I was just having a hard time and, uh, you know, but it, there was nothing at all nothing about like what she was talking about. Nothing. Right, like yeah. So she has no idea what I was thinking when I, when we wrote that, you know? And so the fact that she could take anything from that to remove herself from that situation. And I was able to give her any courage to do so. And maybe it saved her life. Maybe it saved her kid's life. Maybe it, you know, Maybe she's married to someone else that does that. I don't know. You know what I mean? But like yeah. the fact that she was able to make any decision based on something that I created literally out of thin air and related to it in any way, shape or form to me, that means that we're doing our job. That's, that's like why I love music. I love music because I feel like if I can feel anything coming from the person delivering the song, then that's what makes me like it. You know, that's why right, I, don't, yeah. I, I love older music because I feel like the stories were there. You know, I remember I've told this story a thousand times, but I remember when I was little listening to my stepdad's, uh, uh, record player. Yeah. And, um, he had that. I'm not Lisa, Jesse Coulter record. Oh, okay. and I remember watching her name and it, you know, it's on the, on the record. It said, Jesse Coulter, I'm not Lisa over and over and over circling. And, uh, I remember just sitting there listening to her. I didn't know anything about her. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, this woman is really sad. Like that's, you know, right, and now yeah. as an adult who's been through so much, you know, crap and lived a little bit, um, I can relate to that song on a thousand percent different level now, you know? And, right. and so I just think it's really that's kind of the goal of music is to, to make anyone feel something from yeah. what you're creating. Yeah. And I wanted to dive into that a bit because I saw the new single, the song can't fix everything. You had mentioned that music may be able to transport us to the past, but can never fix it. And I thought that was an interesting quote because the traveling back to the past part, I've never really thought about it. But when I'm talking to musicians, musicians are very much focused on what's ahead. I find it's difficult for musicians to look back at what they have done. And so I found that quote interesting, because as a musician, you're creating music that you want to affect people and bring back memories for them. But as the musician yourself, you find it very hard yourself to look back on memories. So just talk about sort of that balance there, that interesting balance. Well, so that particular song is basically like, you know, if you're having a bad, a bad situation in your life, say that like, 
say that like your parent dies or something, or, you know, or you're going through a bad breakup or whatever. Um, your favorite artist, if you're, if you're one of those people that relies on music, you know, for an escapism sort of, um, that's who that song is for basically. And like, for me, it's usually Waylon Jennings and Tom Petty. Like those are my two go-tos. Like when I'm in the worst moods of my life and the worst days of my life, those are the two artists that I go to and, and it fixes things for me. You know, it fixes, you know, I remember when I was going through my divorce, I, Oh God, I, it was, it was brutal. Cause I was struggling with, you know, being divorced twice before the age of 40 and like, just what a loser. And I couldn't, I couldn't really wrap my head around the fact that um, like, how did I do this? Like, how did this happen twice? You know? Right. Yeah. And, and I was sure that the second one was going to work, you know, and it just didn't. And, uh, I would have never done it again, had I not thought it was going to work. And so I remember I had moved out and I was sitting on my couch so lonely. I was just like, so I remember just being so sad and, and my dog was sitting on my lap. And I was listening to Wildflowers, the, the whole album, just over and over and over and over. Like, I mean, I'm like 10 or 12 times. I'm not exaggerating. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and then the whole day was gone, you know? And, um, and I just sat there. And then I realized the day was gone. And so I was like, you got to get up and eat, you idiot. Like, you've literally been sitting here all day. You know, your dog needs to go to the bathroom. Like, get up. And so... I stopped the the player and I got up, ate and stuff and took my dog, you know, for a little walk. And then all of the feelings started coming back. And I was like, oh my God, you're such a loser. (laughs) You're going through your second divorce before the age of 40. And it's like, as long as there was music in my head, then it takes up the space that can be like, you know, knocking you down. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So that's honestly like what that that's about. I mean, that, that song is about that, where it's just like, it can fix it temporarily can fix your, you know, issues, whatever they are. Cause it makes you not think about it. Or like, if you go to a concert, um, whoever, they usually play about 90 minutes, you go. And for 90 minutes, you, you forget about anything else that's going on in your life. Now the album September 23rd, like you mentioned, is the release date. Now, I haven't seen any of the normal studio photos or studio videos from you on your social media. So just talk about the creation of this album and when it was created within the last couple of years. Well, here's the reason that you haven't is because it's taken two and a half years from the beginning Yeah. And so, um, it has been what we like to call a complete labor of love because I mean, it has been, I mean, anything that literally could have happened to put a damper on this has happened, you know? And so, um, we worked with Paul Cawthon and he introduced us to, um, Bo Bedford and Jeff Sines, who are two amazing guys up in Dallas. And Bo, Bo is, I mean, he's, I mean, he's very, very creative. And Jeff is a really good, um, they, they jokingly call him 
the tone God, because like he gets really good tones in the studio. And so anyway, we worked with them. We like fell hard for them. You know, all, all the people we were working with, we just like loved working with them. And, um, then we had a 10 songs recorded and everything was just taking long times, like getting the mixes, getting anything done was really just, it was just COVID, you know, someone would have COVID so you couldn't go in, right, you know, yeah. or someone would have, you know, a cold and they would think it was COVID. So they wouldn't go in or whatever. It was just thing after thing. And then we lived in Austin, they lived in Dallas. So it's like four hours. And then COVID really just put a damper on everything, obviously, as you know. Yeah. So about that was in August, um, of 2020. And then, um, then in like June of 2021 or May in May, um, we were going to get the album mixed finally, like almost a year later and Jeff was going to mix it. And six days before he was supposed to start mixing it, he got, um, electrocuted. Wow. And, um, uh, I had a major priority shift obviously, because I was like, this is, this is just an album. Like this guy literally might die. Like, and he's got a baby and a wife or fiance and anyway. And so I just kind of like stop, you know, like just chill. Right. Yeah. And he ended up, uh, surviving thank God. Um, but he yeah, lost absolutely. both, he lost both of his arms. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so, um, it was a pretty big turning point, like emotionally for anyone. And I, we barely knew him, but he had affected us because he's just the nicest guy. And like, um, we just, everybody just like felt so much, you know, pain for his whole family. And like this community that they have up in Dallas was mind blowing. Like they, they had, all this great stuff, fundraisers and stuff. Anyway. Um, so a couple months goes by, we haven't even talked about doing anything else. Cause I was like, you know, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. I just kind of like succumb or whatever that word is, you know, just to the fact that like, you know, screw it. It's going to happen when it's going to happen. Like, don't try to push it anymore. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, randomly I was talking to Bo one day and had an idea to, cause my former manager, um, Arthur is kind of like one of my like soulmates in this business. I, I really truly adore him and I, I, I love his opinions and he and I chose a lot of the songs together that were going to go on the album. And I had had a conversation with him about this one song that he really wished I would have put on there that I didn't. And we ran out of time. That's what happened. And so I said, you know what? Maybe, it, maybe we should just go back in and do two more. You know, Jeff isn't in the, obviously isn't going to be mixing this right now, but he's alive. My, our minds are all kind of getting back to normal thinking about that. So Bo agrees to go in and record two more songs with us and then mix the whole album. Okay. And, um, and so then the lat like, the end of 2021 uh, was going to be the last day we were finishing it, mixing it. And we went up to Dallas 
the night before and Bo called me and was like, Hey, I'm going to be late tomorrow. And I remember being kind of mad. Cause I was like, damn, we've got one day here, like to finish this. And we've got 12 hours blocked off in the studio. We have to finish everything we have to finish, you know? And I remember just being kind of annoyed. And I said, well, okay, when are you going to be there? He's like, I don't know. I'll probably be about an hour late. And I was like an hour, like I'm freaking out, you know? And I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go get coffee. Like, do you want any? He's like, yeah, grab me two. I was like, and now he's going to need two coffees. Like, you know, like, so, so we go and we get our coffee and we get him his two coffees and we went in our last day and he had brought Jeff. That's what was taking so long. Oh, so wow. he went, he went and got Jeff and Jeff came and helped us finish the last album, which is how it basically started, you know? And so it was an amazing day. And, and basically from that, I think that was like in December or maybe January of this year or December of last year. I can't remember, but anyway, um, it was pretty amazing. And we, we tweaked everything how we wanted it. And I think everyone that's involved in this album is like, you know, very happy with how it turned out and everyone's happy with their parts and everyone's happy with, you know, how it ended up and, and it ended up with, um, with, with Jeff being there too, which was cool, you know? That's amazing. And so even though it's taken a lot longer than you expected, and it was probably frustrating while you were in it, but now that you're out of it and you can finally look towards the release, do you think it'll hit a little differently when you start playing those album release shows and finally have it out to the world? Yes. I feel like I'm also a believer in the whole everything happens for a reason. I know a lot of people don't believe in that. Um, but I've had too many instances in my life that have, you know, shown themselves, shown themselves because of that, you know, like, so had I not done this, I would have not done this. And had I not done this, I would have done this or had I done this, this may not have happened. You know what I mean? And so, um, I kind of look at everything like the movie sliding doors. I don't know if you ever saw that, but, uh, anyway, I feel like, you know, the record that we were supposed to make is what we made. The timing in which it's going to be released is the timing in which it should have, you know, been released. And, um, and I feel like had it been released in 2020, it may have gotten lost or 2021, it may have gotten lost. Um, now I feel like the world is starting to open up a little bit and hopefully, you know, more people will be going out and, you know, our shows are picking up again and it's, you know, still a little weird some places, but, um, but things are starting to look slightly more normal now. Yeah. And, um, and it's feeling a lot more normal now, you know, and, uh, I guess I'm just really, I'm really, we've been playing a couple of the new songs live but, but not, you know, not all of them. And for the record release shows, we're going to do way more of them and it's going to be pretty dang fun. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, September, September 23rd, Married Alone is the album. And now before I let you go, we can't leave without talking about the I don't know if it's lifelong, but it looks like it's been a lifelong infatuation with Tom Selleck. Tell me about this. It's all over your social media from way back when. And 
I don't think you've been able to meet him, even though you've tried very hard, but just talk about this infatuation. So it started when I was like, probably, I mean, a child, like I'm talking like young, 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 I don't know how old, but like when Magnum PI was on yep. and, and it just, my mother and I both thought he was the most handsome man that we had ever seen in our lives. And so, um, you know, he's really tall. I don't know if you know that. And no. And so, yeah, he's like really tall. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so, um, my mom and I would always be like, you know, as I got older, Ooh, he's a tall drink of water, you know, like just so hot. Like this man is just so hot. And then he would like appear on all these, like he appeared on friends. He was Richard, you know, on <laughs> Monica's boyfriend. And, and, and then he was in three men and a baby and all these like funny, he was funny and, you know, good looking. And, you know, it's just the whole thing. He's like, it's almost like a, he's like an enigma. He like, doesn't, does he really even exist? I don't know. Then I found out, then I found out he owned an avocado farm, which I was like, Oh my oh, God. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that in California. And so, um, anyway, I've never met him, but, uh, I did do a gig once. And this woman that was at the gig did the same thing you just did. She said, I know you love Tom Selleck and I could probably get you a signed photo, you know, by him. And I was like, Oh my gosh, please. Yes. I would love it. So I got a signed photo from him and it said, dear Sonny, much obliged Tom Selleck. And I showed my mom the picture and she said, oh, Sonny, that doesn't say obliged. It says obligated because we fight over who he would, you know, like who he would choose me or my mom. Like we've right. always done that our whole life. And so she's like, no, that says obligated, not obliged. So we like died laughing about that. And, um, and I, you know, I got. I got to his agent. I did okay. get that close. I had a, I had a friend who is at the same agency who an artist friend who got their agent to contact his agent and they did personally invite him to our gig in LA. Um, he was unable to come, but, um, do not think that I'm not going to keep trying. Cause I mean, I, I have got to meet him. I have to, it has been, I mean, a, 30 plus year, some kind of obsession, you know, and completely harmless. Although he probably knows and has a restraining order. That's probably why he <laughs> yeah. won't come out to a gig. <laughs> Can't break his own restraining order. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's just, we just like him. We think he's, we think he's cute. Me and my mom do. And if you were able to meet him, do you think it would be similar to your first performance at the Opry of how it might go? No. And do you know why? Because I have a note section in my phone that's the letter that I would read to him if I ever got to meet him so that oh, I wouldn't really? forget so that I wouldn't forget what I was going to say it's got bullet points <laughs> Thank you so much once again for joining us and thank you to Sunny for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her new album, Married Again, on September 23rd. Please also be sure to give us a follow and if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review as well. You can also visit our website, countrymusicmademe.com to sign up for our newsletter and also give us a follow on all of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, we're everywhere. Just search Country Music Made Me and we'll pop up there. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.